Many of us are feeling the anticipation, right, of Christmas coming. We are, we're almost there. We have some more shopping to do. We have some more food to buy. We have some menus to prepare. We, we have some gifts to wrap. We're, we're almost there. But, but I also wonder, maybe for you, like for me, there might be some other ways this morning where we're, we're almost there. Where, where is God leading you this Christmas season? In, in your heart of hearts, where would you like to be? And is it possible that God wants to invite you to consider that if you turn your eyes to him, if you look upon Jesus again this Christmas season, that maybe you're closer than you think. Maybe we're almost there. As we've been going through the first chapter of John, the first 18 verses this Christmas, we've been hearing that God has continued to speak his word into our lives. That word that he spoke in creation, he continues to speak into our lives through his son. That in Jesus, the light of the world, the true light that was shining, shines into the dark places of our world and of our life. And that we can turn our eyes to him and see things in a new and a clear way. And then that word and that light isn't just for those who already believe, who already know God. It's for the whole world. And then he calls us to share that good news message with those who need a good news message and light in their darkness. And today we celebrate, maybe in some unexpected ways, that God's glory has been revealed in ways that gives us hope and anticipation for Christmas this season. We're almost there. One of the things that I really appreciate about Christmas is that uh, in the midst of the busyness and the hectic, busy, crazy time, what Jeff called the chaos carnival, right? It it also reminds us that it's really about relationship, right? I mean, all of this activity and all of this uh, gift giving and all of the things that we do to prepare yummy food is is to gather with friends and loved ones and to celebrate the gift of the people in our lives. And isn't that really what God teaches us about the meaning of Christmas? That's why we've chosen the passage from John rather than a typical Christmas passage because we want to focus not just on the story of Christmas, but what is the meaning of Christmas for you and for me? We've talked about how we know that Christmas is intended to be a joyful season, and it can be all of that. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, it can also be a challenging season, right? It can be a a difficult time, not only because of the busyness of our lives that we live with every day, not just at Christmas time, but, but it can become weary because it pokes at the pain that we often feel from the loss of loved ones that are no longer with us, from those relationships that aren't where we would like them to be, where we become estranged from the very people who should love us the most, where our hopes and our dreams for our lives maybe don't fully live up to what we had longed for or hoped for, and we live with the grief of a life that is less than we would ultimately desire. Sometimes the holidays can be emotionally challenging and not just filled with the good things. And is that really different from life in the world outside of Christmas? Isn't that the truth that we, we live with and that we have to pay attention to and that, that in our day-to-day, 24-7, 365 day world, we struggle with the brokenness and the fallenness of a world that isn't what it's supposed to be? 
However, what we've been encouraging ourselves to remember is that if we are mindful of the miracle of the incarnation, of God become flesh, that God came to us at Christmas to bring a new vision, a new light, and a new hope, that we can rejoice in what God has given us even in the midst of the weariness of our lives. If you've been with us, what we've learned so far is that the God who spoke his word in creation continues to speak to each one of us through a son. His name is Jesus, and he calls people to witness this light that came into the world and to share that light with others. John the Baptist was an example to us of someone who was called in a long line of messengers, of prophets that God sent to remind us that God has not left us alone. God has not abandoned us, even though we might not see God or understand where God is in the midst of the circumstances of our life. He wants you and me to remember he is with us. He is Emmanuel, right? God with us. And that's really what Christmas is all about. When we celebrate Christmas as Christians, we're telling the story of that true light that came into the world, which is a story of God's amazing grace. His incredible love that reaches down into our lives, that doesn't wait for us to come to him. He comes to us first to tell us that he loves us and he forgives us. And there's nothing that can separate us from his love in our lives. And that's really where we pick up the passage today in John chapter 1, verse 14. It tells us that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's an amazing statement. The word of God that was present in creation, through whom God created the whole world, who God thought up you and me, and and created the uniqueness of each of our lives through that word, became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, as I was doing some research and reading, I found that scholars suggest to us that verse 14 here is one of the most important verses in the Bible. John is identifying for us that this word of God did not just appear to be human. He was fully human. Now, this might not sound shocking to our ears now, 2,000 years later, for many of us who have been schooled in the Bible and have been uh, born into a Christian life and have uh, studied God's word for, for a long time. But, but this would have stunned the Greek listener in John's day, for whom the separation of divine spirit and, and physical flesh was, was part of their core belief system. To think that the two could be a part of the same essence was ridiculous. And think about the second part of the phrase that was equally stunning to the modern Jew at that time, right? This word dwelt among us. 
and revealed God's glory. I mean, those were words that were used of the tabernacle with Moses and the people in the wilderness, right? That, that portable worship tent that, that God granted his presence to be with them by, by being in this tent. And it later became attributed to the, the temple. And, and in the temple was the, the holy of holies. And that was the one place where God deigned to condescend to humankind that he would grant his presence to be there. To say that that the divine word of God was now present in some human man? Anathema. Ridiculous. That's crazy talk. Jesus, the word, the, the creative capacity of God, the very wisdom and truth of God was coming to live among us as one of us? I love how Eugene Peterson translates John 1.14 in his paraphrase, the message. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) Would you recognize if God moved into your neighborhood? If God was living next door to you? Would that make a difference in your life? Would you even care? You see, what John is saying is, if if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. Everything that Jesus does in his life and in his death and ultimately in his resurrection becomes a reflection of the heart and the character of the God who formed us and created us and knows us better than we know ourselves. Thus, he can say, the glory of God is now present in this man, Jesus Christ. Is it really any less scandalous to our modern ears? This isn't even so modern anymore, but I love how C.S. Lewis says it in his book, Mere Christianity. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher. But I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say, Lewis says. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who thinks he's a poached egg. (laughs) Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. And he did not intend to. Why is this such a scandal to us? Why is it so hard for us and for the world to to understand God's good news message in this person, Jesus? I want to suggest to us that, that if we look at this word glory, it might help us to understand where we run into some trouble. You know, Webster's defines glory as high renown or honor won by notable achievements. Synonyms are fame, eminence, celebrity. Or it could be magnificence or great beauty. 
Splendor, majesty, brilliance, grandeur. These are things of, of glory, right? And yet it says the glory of God appeared as a human being. That, that's not all that glorious for God, right? It was a human being that could be, could be touched and, and, and had to go to the bathroom like you and I do and, and had to eat and had to you know, do all of the things that we do as human beings. That, that can't be God's glory, can it? God would come to be a human being even though that the world he created wouldn't even understand him or recognize him. And that when he came to his own family, they would reject him and, and, and even kill him? Is that glory? You see, what John is helping us to see is that he is foreshadowing this deep irony that the glory of God would be seen in the suffering and the humiliation of God himself. We could never imagine that story. Who would invent that story? Who would create the glory of God revealed in the suffering and the death of, of God's own person? And yet, God, through the centuries, gave us clues and reminders that if we're willing to pay attention and to see the signs, God takes the values of this world and he wants to take the values of our life and turn them upside down so that we can see that he is the one who is the arbiter of what is true and what is righteous and what is good for your life and for mine. You remember the words of Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. You see, it's in this way that grace is made visible to you and to me. God's grace becomes evident as coming into the world through God's love and in his willingness to be rejected by the world that he created and by those he loves the most in order to show us what love is really all about and to show us who he really is. See, the truth that Jesus reveals is that truth is not a what. It's a who. Jesus is God reaching into the very life experience of men and women as human beings in order to remove any shadow of a doubt about who he is. The same God is reaching into our lives this morning in this Christmas season in order to remove any shadow of a doubt that you and I might have about who he is and about what he wants to be for you and for me in our lives. And so maybe some of the questions we need to be considering and asking ourselves this Christmas season is where are you living your life without God this Christmas? What are the cul-de-sacs of life that God wants to move into if we're willing to welcome him to be a true neighbor in our lives? Or perhaps there's someone living in your neck of the woods that is in a desperate need to hear a message of grace and hope this Christmas that simply needs your word of testimony that, that this light continues to shine in the darkness. You see, the reality is that in Jesus, we have a God who has experienced the fullness of what it means to be human in this world. 
the pain and the frustration and the sorrow that we experience, he's experienced too. He knows where we've been and he knows how it feels and he can meet us in those wounded and broken places and bring healing and wholeness like no one else can. Hebrews 2.18 tells us, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You see, God became like us so that we could have the opportunity to become like him. God became like us so we would have the opportunity to become like him. John says we've seen his glory. We've heard his message. We've seen the miracles. We've witnessed the glorification uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. We've testified that this guy who was dead is alive again. The one who died is still here. We've seen it. We're telling you about it. Because we were with him. And we know him. And we have a relationship together. But there's one other caveat that John also points to again here for us in this text. John also tells us he had to put his own ego aside in order to celebrate that Jesus had surpassed him. He was before me because he's God. And I'm not. Now we know chronologically, right? Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins, and John was born before Jesus. And so John's not talking about his human relationship with Jesus. He's identifying that in this man was the word of God that was present from the creation of the world. He was before me. And so he has surpassed me. What does it look like for us to allow Jesus to surpass us in our lives? And are we willing to even consider that possibility? What does it mean for Jesus to become greater than me in my own life? In what ways do our own egos get in the way of accepting Jesus and allowing Jesus to become the Lord of our lives? Grace is not merely an attribute of the character of God. It's an experience of relationship with God. Think about that for a minute. Grace is not merely an attribute of the character of God. It is an experience of relationship with God. One commentator said, it is the recipient who knows grace, not the theologian who has studied it. Right? Think about the woman at the well. Think about the woman caught in adultery. Think about the woman who anointed Jesus' feet. It is the recipient of grace who knows grace, not the theologian who has studied it. It is not a a religious concept that we're invited to, to consider whether we believe is true or not. It is an experience of relationship with God where God offers genuine forgiveness and, and healing and wholeness in your life. And when you say yes to Jesus and you experience renewed relationship with God and reconciliation with God, grace becomes more than just a concept. It becomes a reality in your life. You see, in grace... God wants to make his home among us. He wants to move into your neighborhood. He he wants to join you in the process where where you begin to find your heart's true home in him. Remember what Jesus said to his first disciples? 
On that night before he went to the cross in the upper room, when they they broke bread and had communion together, in John 15, verses 4 and 5, he told them, remain in me. Think about that word dwelling again, right? Remain in me. Dwell in me. Live your life in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We're almost there. Where is it that God is leading you this Christmas? And are you willing to take that last step with him? To come into his light. To receive his grace and his mercy again for you this Christmas. To acknowledge that you don't have the wisdom or the strength to figure out all of the broken places in your lives and in your relationships. But that through him you can receive hope that he can help navigate the waters of this world. See, even in our weariness, we can fall on our knees. And hear the angel voices. Because on that divine night, God came into the world for you and me. Oh, night, divine, oh, night, when Christ was born, we can rejoice in the weariness of the world Because the world has been overcome by a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is the gift of Christmas. And all we have to do is open it. Would you pray with me? Holy God, forgive us for the ways that our own egos get in the way of your mercy and your grace in our lives. Give us the courage to acknowledge that we need your healing and your wholeness to overcome those broken places, to bring hope into the darkness of our own souls and to remind us God, that you love us and you desire nothing more than our flourishing and our thriving in your love. And God, give us the, the wisdom to see that, that you have not given us your grace just for ourselves alone, but that we now become witnesses to the light that we can share with others so that we can become hope in the darkness, we can help others to experience a whole new way of living life through your son, Jesus. Come into our lives again. Move into our neighborhood, God. We welcome you and we say yes to Jesus today. It's in his name that we pray.